0: Hey, everyone, this is Ben Norton, and this is Colin. This is my show, Rules-Based Disorder, that I do here every week, and I will begin today talking a little bit, and then I'm going to invite people who are listening to go ahead and call in, you know, as the app name suggests, you can call in, and I will respond to questions. I'm going to go for about 45 minutes today, so I'll start chatting a bit, and then please feel free to join in this conversation. Today, I'm going to begin talking about the information war that the United States is waging. This March, the director of the CIA, William Burns, said in a Senate hearing, he testified that the United United States government is waging an information war against Russia, and he also added, by the way, that he thinks that Putin is losing that information war, i.e. the CIA director says, insists that the U.S. is winning the information war and as part of that information war not only is the United States targeting foreign adversaries like Russia and China but increasingly it's also targeting people inside the United States and I think we really need to understand the dangers that the new Cold War poses for civil liberties in the United States you know the US calls itself the beacon of democracy and more and more it's aggressive foreign policy that tends to target people around the world is also targeting people at home in the United States, and we saw this this week with the creation, or rather, the announcement of the creation of the so-called disinformation governance board. Now, what is the disinformation governance board? It is a, basically it's a ministry of truth. You know, this is the the term that a lot of people have been using, and. You know, it might be seem a bit hyperbolic, but basically it is the U.S. government body that decides what is so-called disinformation and what should be censored. And the disinformation governance board is part of the Department of Homeland Security. Now, anyone who knows basic history about the U.S. so-called war on terror should be able to remember how terrifying the DHS was and still is. I mean, the idea that the DHS is new is sometimes spread by politicians. So they say that you're crazy if you think that DHS should be abolished. DHS was not created until 2003 by the George W. Bush administration, and it was part of the war on terror. And it was created as this architecture to mass surveil Americans, to spy on Muslims in particular, as part of this the war on terror, this idea that, you know, there's this fifth column of terrorists in the United States that is a big threat. And as part of DHS, it also created ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and also CBP. So ICE and CBP, which is Border Patrol and Immigration and Customs Enforcement, they are new institutions that only go back to 2003, and they all fall under DHS, This is a very authoritarian, undemocratic institution. And, of course, DHS has been implicated in spying on journalists, in spying on protesters. And even the New York Times admitted that DHS, during the massive uprising in the United States in against police brutality and racism in 2020, after the killing of George Floyd, We know, according to the New York Times itself, which is a mouthpiece of the U.S. government, they admitted that DHS used drones and helicopters and other technology to spy on protesters in 15 different cities. So DHS is an authoritarian institution that is used to spy on journalists. It's used to spy on protesters. And now DHS has a committee that is overseeing censorship of so-called disinformation. So I think this really needs to be seen as what it actually is, which is an authoritarian attack on civil liberties in the United States. And unfortunately it has been politicized in a partisan way to portray it as a democratic institution and Republicans are the ones leading the charge against this. But this is not just an institution against Republicans. This is an institution specifically related to the, the New Cold War. And if we look at the founding document released by the DHS, if we look at their their original their press release announcing the creation of the Disinformation Governance Board, they specifically say that it is targeting so-called disinformation that is supposedly spread by Russia, China, and Iran— Now, that that is extremely clear to me. When the DHS says that they're targeting Russian, Iranian, and Chinese disinformation, what they're actually saying is that if you are an American or anyone else and you say things that criticize U.S. foreign policy that they deem Russian, Chinese, or Iranian disinformation, then you can be censored. So... I think that this is a clear example of the mission creep, if you will, of the new Cold War targeting civil liberties inside the United States itself. We saw this also with a ridiculous uh, interview that was done by the Secretary of Homeland Security, who is Alejandro Mayorkas, and he did an interview on CNN, and CNN just totally whitewashed this disinformation board. And this was hosted by Dana Bash, who is one of the main CNN journalists, so-called journalists. The interview is titled, Bash Presses Majorcas About 1984 Comparisons to Disinformation Board. And in this episode, we saw that uh, Majorcas minimized the, the, the disinformation board, claiming it is, quote, a small working group within the Department of Homeland Security. So trying to minimize what this group actually is. And then Dana Bash from CNN, she asked, she said, will American citizens be monitored? And then the secretary of Department of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, he said, no, they won't. And then Bash asked him, can you guarantee that? And then the head of the DHS, he said, this is an exact quote, we in the Department of Homeland Security don't monitor American citizens. And that is an incredible lie. That is a complete lie, 100% false. This is actual fake news. This is actual disinformation, which is exactly what the U.S. government is accusing Russia, China, and Iran of spreading. And then following up, what was incredible about that is that the CNN host, Dana Bash, she said, you don't, as if She agreed that DHS doesn't spy on Americans, which is totally false. And then she asked, but will this board change that? And then Mayorkas, the head of DHS, said, no, 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 no. So this is disinformation from the mouth of the secretary of DHS, which is overseeing the disinformation board. And it's yet another example of how the U.S. government uses the term disinformation to refer to anything it doesn't like. So, yes, that can include crazy far-right conspiracy theories like QAnon, but it can also refer to objective facts. Like, for instance, NATO and the U.S. are supporting Nazis in Ukraine. That is not Russian disinformation. That is a fact. It has been a fact for several years. We've known for several years now that NATO and the U.S. government have been supporting Nazis in Ukraine. But if you say that objective fact, that the Azov Battalion has received weapons from the U.S. government, that NATO has has been training Azov, then they call it Russian disinformation and they can censor you. And now we have actual disinformation being spread by the head of DHS and he's the one determining what disinformation is. And I I just want to, for people who don't know about DHS is spying on Americans. I mentioned in the New York Times article about DHS in 2020 using helicopters and drones to spy in 15 cities, but I want to read a quote from NBC 7, which is a mainstream US media outlet. They say that they obtained documents in 2019 that quote, "The US government created a secret database of activists, journalists, and social media influencers" tied to the migrant caravan, and in some cases placed alerts on their passports. This article revealed that DHS created a secret database of journalists and activists who were involved in exposing the crimes committed against immigrants in the United States and has been spying on them. This is, again, a mainstream media outlet. Even senators and congresspeople from Oregon they published an open letter to the Department of Homeland Security calling for answers following new reports that the department spied on Portland protesters' phones. So we see DHS spying on the phones of protesters and the ACLU has sued DHS for committing so many crimes and violations of civil liberties. Yahoo News published an article this year Acknowledging, this is an exact quote from Yahoo News, again, mainstream media, quote, the controversial unit of customs and border protection that trawled through the travel and financial records of journalists and lawmakers is still monitoring Americans. That is an article from this year, from a few months ago in Yahoo News. Meanwhile, we see an attempt by the Biden administration to basically say that, no, 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 no. When the Department of Homeland Security was spying on people, that was all just big bad Trump. That, that it doesn't do it anymore. And we see on CNN, CNN is helping DHS lie about its long established record going back years of spying on Americans. That it continues to do. And of course, I mean, I'm focusing on its spying on people inside the United States. Everyone knows that the CIA and other US intelligence agencies, the NSA, spy on billions of people around the world. We know that the, C- that the NSA, it, it monitors the phone calls and phone records of people around the world, including foreign heads of state like former German Chancellor Angela Merkel, who's supposedly a Western ally. So it goes without saying that everything that I'm talking about that's happening inside the United States is happening 10 times worse outside of the United States. But what I'm showing is how the war always comes home. That's always how these wars work. The U.S. war in Iraq, the U.S. war in Yugoslavia, the war now on Russia, the proxy war, the tactics that the empire uses abroad always come home. And we see that now very clearly with this so-called disinformation governance board. Now, who is running this disinformation governance board? Her name is Nina Jankovic, and Jankovic got some media attention, largely in right-wing media outlets who are making fun of her stupid TikTok videos, and she does like these ridiculously unfunny, like uh, Mary Poppins songs about disinformation, and yeah, I mean, whatever, haha, it's very funny to make fun of her for being a loser and doing these dumb videos, but honestly, that has gotten much more attention than what's more significant which is who is this person and what has she said? What are her political views? Nina Jankovic, who is the executive director of the DHS Disinformation Governance Board, she is an information warrior. She is part of the U.S. government information warfare apparatus. And yeah, her stupid TikTok videos are a distraction from the fact that she is waging an information war and is is going to be censoring people who oppose U.S. government crimes in this new information war against Russia and China. Excuse me, this new Cold War against Russia and China. Nina Jankovic, she got her start as a so-called democracy assistance expert that is doing regime change operations for a CIA cutout called the National Democratic Institute, the NDI. The NDI is a branch of the National Endowment for Democracy, the NED, which is a CIA cutout created by the Ronald Reagan administration in the 1980s, created by Ronald Reagan's CIA CIA director under the leadership of William Casey, who was responsible for arming the Contras in Nicaragua and Iran-Contra, the Iran-Contra scandal. So the National Democratic Institute is the Democratic Party-affiliated branch Of the National Endowment for Democracy, the NED has four branches. It has the Democratic Party branch, the NDI, the National Democratic Institute. It also has a Republican Party affiliated branch called the International Republican Institute, the IRI. The NED also has a labor branch that works with the, with AFL-CIA. Excuse me, excuse me, AFL-CIO, as it used to be called, the AFL-CIA. This is one of the main union federations in the United States that has worked closely with the U.S. government throughout the first Cold War and still today. And then also there is a corporate arm of the NED that works with corporations in order to advance U.S. government foreign policy interests. So Nina Jankovic, the head of the disinformation governance board at DHS, her background is in regime change operations at a CIA cutout targeting Russia and Belarus. She also has viciously attacked independent journalists, including a friend and colleague of mine, Aaron Maté. She attacked him and called him. He claimed that he spread ru- spreads Russian disinformation, which is absurd. And she called WikiLeaks, probably the most important journalistic publication of this century, she smeared WikiLeaks and called them scum. That's what she said. She said they're scum. She also implied that Julian Assange, the political prisoner who founded and edited WikiLeaks is supposedly involved in a Russian disinformation operation, in a Russian influence operation. She is an information warrior who is part of the US government and her career has been running regime change operations against Russia. So she worked at the NDI where she oversaw so-called democracy assistance programs for in Russia and Belarus, which means regime change. And then she wrote an article in 2016 in which she described herself as quote, someone who has made a career in democracy assistance. So this is a regime change operative. And then after that, she later worked for Ukraine. She worked for the Ukrainian regime after the US backed coup in Ukraine in 2014 overthrew the elected government and installed a pro Western puppet regime. And Jankovic's moved to Ukraine in 2016, and from 2016 to 2017, she advised the Ukrainian Foreign Ministry on so-called disinformation and strategic communications. So, this is a, this is someone who worked at a CIA cutout during regime change operations against Russia, and then she worked for the Ukrainian puppet regime installed by the US, and now she is the head of the so-called Disinformation Governance Board at The The Department of Homeland Security, which is notorious for spying on and violating the civil liberties of people in the United States. I mean, this is as dystopian as it gets. She has now rebranded as a so-called disinformation expert, as many Democrats did when Donald Trump was elected, because, of course, the Democratic Party tried to have this narrative that Donald Trump only won the election because of Russian meddling, supposedly, and because of so-called Russian disinformation, not because Hillary Clinton was extremely unpopular and a neoliberal corrupt warmonger. No, not because of that. It's because of the dastardly Russians. And like many people who had been involved in these regime change operations, Nina Jankovic, she rebranded herself from a democracy assistance that is regime change uh, operative into a disinformation expert, and she just published a book that I think really exposes what we're living through right now. In 2020, Nina Jankovic published a book titled How to Lose the Information War, Russia, Fake News, and the Future of Conflict. And when she wrote that book, she was a fellow in so-called disinformation, which is ironic, I mean, because she actually is an expert in actually propagating disinformation. And she works at the so-called Wilson Center, which is a U.S. government funded think tank. So why did I talk about that in her book? Because her book is it literally uses the word information war. She is an information warrior. She is part of the U.S. government information war, not only targeting China, Russia and Iran as DHS specifically singled out in its press release and as Alejandro Mayorkas, the secretary department of department of homeland security as he said in a CNN interview he singled out China Russia and Iran and now this disinformation so called expert who's an information warrior is going to be overseeing censorship of anyone deemed supposedly spreading Russian Chinese or Iranian disinformation which means if you criticize the US war machine good luck and we've seen in, in the days following this announcement, we saw PayPal blocked numerous media outlets that are, what unifies them? They are all left-wing anti-imperialist independent media outlets, including Consortium News, one of the most important media outlets that exposed Russiagate as, as an actual disinformation campaign backed by the U.S. government and the CIA. And Consortium News has done great reporting going back to the Iran Contra scandal and the role of the CIA in using drugs to fund its operations to fund fascist death squads in Central America, and also we saw that that Mint Press News was blocked from using from using PayPal and Manar Moharish, who's a friend of mine, great journalist and the editor, Manar Moharish, she was banned from using her personal PayPal account. So we see that the U.S. government is clearly pressuring these large big tech companies that are all U.S. government contractors and have a revolving door with the government. They're clearly being pressured to censor journalists and block journalists from using their platforms if they expose the crimes of U.S. foreign policy. And unfortunately, we see Democrats are trying to pretend like anyone against the disinformation governance board, this U.S. government ministry of truth, is a crazy Trumpist right-wing Republican. And meanwhile, Republicans are trying to portray this as some Democrat supposedly left-wing policy. It's not. This is an authoritarian policy of the new Cold War targeting anyone who dissents. And I think it's very dangerous. And that's why I I wanted to begin this episode today talking about why I think we need to look into who these people are running these very authoritarian and dystopian government agencies and how... The tactics that the U.S. has used used around the world are once again coming home. So with that said, I am glad to see that we have a lot of people listening right now. So I'm going to open up and take about for about 20, 25 minutes. I'll take questions from anyone who wants to call and we'll have, I'll answer whatever whatever you want to ask. So here is Eric. I'll start
1: with him. Hello, Ben. How are you? I'm good. Oh, all right, S- super. So, uh, you know, I, um, you pr- talk about Nina Jankiewicz, and I was just curious if you personally are familiar with Harry Potter at all. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, I I know the, <laughs> I know what you're referencing here. Her, uh, her TikTok uh, with uh, her. I'll, I'll just say I'll keep it PG here. Her romantic fantasies with Harry Potter. So, uh, yeah, I mean, these people are really beyond parody, and it's really easy to make fun of them. But at the same time, I mean, there's been a lot of coverage of how stupid and crazy her TikTok videos are, but but much less attention to the fact that she called WikiLeaks scum. She claimed Julian Assange is a Russian agent. She attacked Aaron Mate by name, claiming that he spreads Russian disinformation. She also, by the way... In another tweet, she said that if you say that the U.S. government supported the White Helmets in Syria, that you're spreading Russian disinformation, even though it is an objective fact you can find on U.S. government websites showing that the U.S. government gave the White Helmets tens of millions of dollars. So, I mean, yeah, it's easy to make fun of her dumb TikTok videos, but I think her political views are much scarier.
1: I think, uh, well, you know, the whole thing with uh, disinformation is that being objectively true is no excuse, right? Because it's like when the fact checkers and the Pinocchios and the you know pants on fires they say uh, mostly false because it's missing context. You know, I think they did that to Bernie a couple times, even when he just stated quite simply what the you know the the federal debt or the federal budget was. Um, I, I guess though, I. I um, I think what you're doing is really good is trying to focus the debate on the stuff that's substantive but the the paradox of that is that she is i mean not a substantive person in terms of i'll I'll give you a little insight i have like for example um you know as i went to law school here in dc and i would try to you know be the guy who's going to take the national security law classes so i can understand how the other side thinks and you know and what some of the revealing things is just like they really just do think in terms of well we're the good guys they're the bad guys we're the good guys; they're the bad guys. Russia just wants to poke us in the eye, but you know we don't just ever want to poke them in the eye. We're just minding our business, right? And, and um, you know, it's like they, they think they're the Marvels, Avengers types, um, you know. And you know, or if in her case, she thinks she's Harry Potter, and she thinks she's—I um, don't know—a Disney princess or something like that. But <laughs> but it's you know, I, I'd like to think that there are adults in the room, but I mean, it's it's really it's really strange because I mean, and then if you even read her writing and stuff, I mean, it's like this is not like. A, a serious thinker. This is not somebody who's, like, ever thought about what it might be like to be, like, you know, to live in a different time and a different place and have different opinions um, or anything like that, like, throughout history or, you know, to be a Russian or anything like that. I mean, it's not too much to ask for, but it, it, it is kind of dangerous because, uh, you know, when fascism comes to America, you know, there's always, you know, people talk about, you know, it'll be wrapped in the flag, et cetera, et cetera, but this kind of smiling, happy thing that that gets forced on you, I mean... It's kind of terrifying, like, the idea of, like, well, if you just put a smile on the killing machine, you know, then it's like, what, what, what? It's smiling at you. What's wrong with you? Why are you upset, <laughs> you know? And, um, so that's the, the, the disturbing affect. And I get that, like, there's a lot of sexism to it as well, maybe, or something, you know, it's like, oh, you shouldn't just be criticizing her for her appearance. But, um, you know, I think we shouldn't be, I, I think we shouldn't shy away from pointing out just the, that, that, that is, I don't know, there is a central, centrality to that, but, um... Anyways, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but it's nice to see hearing on Colin. I hope we get to talk to you again. Um, and uh, uh, I guess um, I don't know. I'd like to ask you another question, but well, why don't we let why don't we let Johnny come on?
0: Thanks, Eric. Yeah, uh, good good points. And I got to say, I always respect anyone who is. Fighting the good fight there in D.C., you said you were studying law in D.C. That's got to be very difficult. Oh, one um,
1: more point though is if you're familiar enough with Harry Potter, okay, she thinks she's Hermione, but she's really Dolores Umbridge. <laughs>
0: um, I I read those books when I was very young, and, and I, re- I remember reading them when they were new. But um, so I, ha- I have, it's been a very long time, but I I remember Dolores Umbridge being like a, a villainous character. And I remember Hermione being like the the ally of Harry Potter so yeah I, guess, I guess.
1: Yes and specifically Dolores Umbridge she forced Harry Potter to deny that Voldemort was real and she made him write with the with a with a quill pen that would carve into the back of his hand I will not tell lies I will not tell lies so it it's very fitting but you know she wouldn't she wouldn't get it
0: <laughs> Yeah well maybe she would but uh yeah good point very good analysis If you ever want to meet her at
1: her I mean, level <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, very good point, and I do have to say that, I mean, clearly the U.S. government's uh, information warriors are not their best and brightest, and it really does show that this idea of the U.S. government being like this great beacon on a hill that's like this great country everyone's trying to emulate, I mean, in a lot of ways it's it's increasingly a failed state, so the fact that they do have to resort to people like this, it I think it does, definitely does reflect uh, something going on a... a uh, Something is rotten in the state of Washington. So well, great, it, feel, it
1: feels like we're like the old Soviet Union collapsing, except when they were on their way to collapse, they had like Glasnost and Perestroika, and it feels like we we're getting the opposite of that.
0: Well, yeah, and a huge part of the overthrow of the Soviet Union was a massive Cold War waged against them by the U.S. and millions of dollars going through the CIA networks and, you know, the NED funding all these groups and secessionist movements, whereas like the U.S. is just tearing itself apart. So, I mean, they, they say, you know, Russia is supported Trump or whatever, but their only evidence was Facebook memes. Whereas, like, we know that the CIA gave millions of dollars to groups in Poland and and other parts of the Warsaw Pact and Lithuania and Latvia inside the Soviet Union to break it up. So, like, I mean, it really shows that, that all of the things that the U.S. has accused other countries of doing, it does to itself at the end of the day. But on that note, I'm going to bring in Johnny here. The next caller, let's see. Um, here we go. Go ahead, Johnny. You're up.
2: Okay. Uh, thanks, Ben. I'm a big fan. Uh, your your reporting is just like second to none. Uh, thank you, thank you. Especially in the south. So I wanted to ask you if you're familiar with Panquake, the new messaging service from uh, the uh, from the tech person, uh, Susie Dawson. Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, my understanding is it's kind of like a social media alternative, right?
2: Right, right. Yeah. So uh, it allows people the freedom about the CIA and government intervention. You know, it's really, really good app. Hopefully uh, they'll come out with it soon. So uh, I think it'll really uh, put a damper in, uh, in Twitter and everybody else. And I wanted to ask you also, uh, did you catch that part in this uh, the new DHS, the information, what, do you call it? what did you call it, the Ministry of Truth? Uh, document that said that it is also, is going to view, uh, uh, people who try to go on a general strike or strike through their labor, labor as a, as a terrorist as well. Did you catch that?
0: No, I, I, I not know exactly what you're referencing, but I do remember that in the, in the Trump administration, there's a, there's a, I'm going to, I'm going to mute you just for a second because there's like a sure, bad, sure. there's a bad noise. Um, I do remember that in the the during the the Trump administration, DHS was trying to classify anti-fascist, specifically Antifa, as a terrorist organization, and was saying that anyone who is supportive of Antifa, which, by the way, I mean Antifa isn't isn't a centralized organization by definition; it is decentralized. So there's no Antifa. I mean, I've been critical of like some like the the so-called black black people who like just they all. Dress up in all black, and some of them call themselves Antifa. And then they like go and destroy property and like break stuff. I mean, I've been very critical of that. There's a lot of police infiltration in those groups, but we saw that DHS was just trying to use this very broad brush and say that if you supported Antifa and scare quotes, whatever that meant, that you were going to be guilty of supporting terrorism. So we definitely see DHS has been trying to use this war on terror rhetoric to go after domestic dissent as well, which is very terrifying. And that's why I think it's so disturbing to see the, the Biden administration and Democrats are now trying to rebrand DHS. And in the opening statement, the press release that DHS published about the Disinformation Governance Board, they claimed that it was going to be against so-called Russian, Chinese, and Iranian disinformation. They also said... That it was going to be against disinformation about immigration and what they, I think, what they were doing very clearly there. And the Secretary of Homeland Security Mayorkas reiterated this in his CNN interview. What, what he's trying to hint at is he's trying to tell Democrats, "Oh, don't worry, this disinformation governance board is going to censor fake news from Republicans about." you know, immigrants supposedly carrying out terrorist attacks or, you know, killing people or whatever. So that's part of this very cynical campaign by the Biden administration to try to rebrand DHS as like a an anti-extremist organization going after far-right extremists, even though just a few years ago they were trying to call anti-fascist terrorists. I mean, it it's very disturbing to me to see that Just a few years after we saw some mainstream Democrats like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez rightfully call for abolishing DHS. I mean, I think she should continue doing that. But unfortunately, she's been quiet about that since. And now we see some other Democrats who are praising DHS for creating a ministry of truth. It it really shows how short-sighted the attention span or the the consciousness is of a lot of these politicians in in Washington. And in, in two years, they can do a complete 180. But I'll, I'll go back to you here, Johnny. Uh,
2: no, no, thanks. That was that was really good. I uh, appreciate your insight and your perspective. Uh, that's really all I have to say. Thanks.
0: Okay, great. Thanks, Johnny. Yeah, and, and I'll say anyone who wants to, to jump in here, I'll, I'm going to do about 10 more minutes. So if anyone wants to jump in for any questions, I'll go ahead and answer them. But, I mean, just while I'm waiting for people to jump in, I, I, I'll also add that The Department of Homeland Security did something really crazy that people have kind of forgotten about. But this was during the Trump administration. The DHS published this very weird press release in 2014 that echoed the so-called 14 words slogan that's used by white supremacists and neo-Nazis. It was very weird and it was very clear that there were far-right extremist forces fascist white supremacist in DHS who were able to spread or able to, excuse me, to publish this press release. And you can still find it on the DHS website. And it is titled, we must secure the border and build the wall to make America safe again. So (laughs) this is 14 words. And the wording is a direct reference to the white supremacist slogan of, we must secure a future for our white children or whatever. So, I mean, clearly this was a sign by fascist forces within DHS that they're on board, like with this agenda. And we now see the Biden administration trying to rebrand DHS as an anti-extremist institution, which is very cynical. And it reminds me of this attempt by liberals and social democratic forces who are trying to convince people that that Putin is a fascist, that Russia is fascist. And therefore, in order to be anti-fascist, you have to support war on Russia and you have to support NATO and you have to support Nazis in Ukraine. So we've even seen this insane disinformation campaign that there are no Nazis in Ukraine. If you say there are Nazis in Ukraine, then you're guilty of spreading Russian disinformation. In fact, Russia are the Russians are the real fascists. And to be anti-fascist, you have to support the Azov Battalion, which is a neo-Nazi group that uses neo-Nazi symbols and white supremacist symbols, and was incorporated into the Ukrainian National Guard after the U.S.-backed coup in Ukraine in 2014. So it's just really shocking to see how a narrative that that, that the Democrats or Republicans, because Republicans do the same thing, of course. That when Republicans are in power, Democrats will say these narratives that sometimes are true, like there are fascists in DHS and DHS should be abolished. I agree with that. But then when Trump leaves and Biden's in, suddenly they say, well, DHS is good now because our people control DHS and they're going to try to repress the far right. And they're going to censor Russian disinformation. So now we like DHS. And now Republicans are against DHS. And they call it the Ministry of Truth. Even though when Trump was in charge, they supported DHS sending forces, DHS troops, police that is, DHS police, which are like, I mean, that's a secret police basically, to repress protests against police brutality and racism. So we see this back and forth where Republicans will do something and Democrats will cynically oppose it. And then Democrats will do the same thing and Russians will, uh, Russians, Republicans will cynically oppose it. And basically at the end of the day, all that happens is that the U.S. continues to lurch further and further to the right. There continues to be fewer and fewer civil liberties for people. And the pattern continues. So it's, it's very cynical and concerning to me, but... I guess uh Eric's here so I'll, I'll go ahead and bring you back on Eric.
1: Oh yeah, well you just um your uh, your last point was so good and it got me, you know, so passionate cuz um you know, it's this idea that you can have an exception in the law. It's the it's the same as terrorist or um domestic terrorists or foreign terrorists or anything away. It's that you think that they can have the exception in the law um you know, the same way I you know, Giorgio talks about where it's like Well, um, there are going to be people for whom it's okay to do things because they're fascists. And um, it's very easy. to. I mean, I I think personally, it's easy to understand. Well, then, okay, but if the state can label one person a fascist, they'll label antifa fascist, they'll label, you know, any enemy. And there's, I don't know, there's a certain principle. I don't know if you call it a liberal principle, but to say that, you know, there's things I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. And um, I think, I don't know, I think there's been a real difficulty in organizing on the left because there are people who you know want to say kill all Nazis and etc and it's like you know well personally I mean I think you know people should be given trials right but um you know but even if you accept that you know concept of like or like even if you say that someone for example should lose their job or their house or their health care if they you know have a fascist view online but then it just normalizes this idea of taking people's rights away and um like, for example, like, should, should we feel, you know, happy if a woman who is a racist loses her right to get an abortion? It's, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, if in a, you know, it's a slippery slope. And I, don't know, I guess I have sometimes I have these arguments, like with people in left certain left groups where I say, well, you have to give the devil his due, you know, because um, and they say, no, 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 you don't. Why would you have to do that? And it's like, well, no, you have to, because I don't know. I think back to Thomas More and the whole thing about. You know, would you cut down all the trees in you know all uh, what's that called all a man for all seasons? You know, would you cut down all the trees in England to get to the devil? And it's like I would, and it's like well yeah, but then when the devil turns back around on you, you'll have nowhere to hide. And um, so I I don't know what, what where you think, um, but I don't know because when when you said um, what you said just now seems to be um, where I'm I'm a, I'm in a similar spot, but I wonder if you've really um, encountered that type of conflict in thinking or in leftist circles.
0: Yeah, this, this is a great question, and there's there's a difficult debate about it. I mean, I'll be honest. I'm not a free speech absolutist, but in the context of the U.S. government, I think we have to err on the side of being as careful as possible because the reality is that in the entire modern history of the United States government, the U.S. has used the—any the, the any, time it has the opportunity to— to repress the civil liberties of right-wing extremists, they always use that to go after the left. Always. The censorship is always going to be used against the left, much more vociferously, much more aggressively than against the right. So there were a lot of people who were very happy, for instance, once Alex Jones, who I think is not only a complete psycho, but I also think Alex Jones is a very shady, suspicious person who could potentially ha- even have links to some of these government institutions because he's certainly been useful in in trying to discredit some things that are very real by trying to make them seem like crazy conspiracy theories. And, you know, he's very close to the Republican Party and Donald Trump and all of that. So anyway, there are a lot of people on the left who celebrated when Alex Jones was was censored. And as as abhorrent and horrible as I think he is, you, I mean, if you do give a precedent to the U.S. government, or to these big Silicon Valley corporations, which are all U.S. government contractors, they can and they will use that to go against the left, and especially against anti-war voices and anti-imperialists. They always do. So well, I make it clear, I'm not a libertarian. I, I believe in a strong state, but I also understand that the U.S. state is not a worker state at all. It is controlled by billionaire oligarchs, and it is controlled by unaccountable intelligence agencies. And they can and will use any tools they have to silence dissent. So I agree that although I'm, I'm not going to be like people in the ACLU who go out and openly defend the speech of Nazis and fascists, I'm not. I'm, I think that's a waste of time and resources. They don't. We don't. They don't need us to defend them. That's ridiculous. They are our enemies. They're horrible. They're enemies of humanity. I think we do need to understand that this. This. This narrative that's used by Democrats sometimes that says, well, now DHS is good because it's repressing the far right. Well, I mean, they might say they're repressing fascists, but still the majority of what they do is going to be going after the left, as we saw with DHS spying on Black Lives Matter protests. So um, I'm going to bring on Willem here. Uh, Willem Willem. Um,
3: go ahead. Hey, Ben. How you doing? All right. Um, I think the U S is like, when we look back, when people look back in a hundred years, they're going to see this country as like the biggest waste of human potential ever. Like it's so such a wealthy country, but there's like trillions that have gone into just propping up this deflating empire. Like there's people Homeless people in every damn city. People are are going without health insurance, without how, ha- without like relief from debt. I mean, it's just like there's just so many people that could be lifted up to make this country like have you know people living their their full potentials, and like yet like we see this these desperate moves like. From the DHS um, being initiated to try to control people's uh, understanding of things and try to limit like the number of voices that we hear, and like I just wonder when people are going to wake up that this is just a rotten uh, duopoly of two parties that don't serve them. They're they're like abusive exes that we keep on going back to back and forth from. Um, Do you think that people are going to wake up or or what? I mean, just with this abortion leak, uh, this this, uh, Supreme Court leak and and this Ministry of Truth. I mean, it's it's just like a sign of desperation. Um, And and like China, I'm not a big fan of like a bunch of things that they do, but they lifted millions of people out of poverty because they like. They focused on that. They focused the resources on that. And, and this is just ridiculous.
0: Yeah, great comment. And, and I'll say um, this is going to be my last, my last uh, response here. And I'm going to end this call. But I'm, I'm going to do another one of these tomorrow just because I, I have to run in a few minutes here. But um, I'm going to do another call-in stream tomorrow for anyone who, if you have other questions and you want to join in, I'll do that. Um, I'll, I'll announce that on Twitter at Benjamin Norton on Twitter. But yeah, really, before before I run here, um, this is this is a great question and, and I'll just say a few thoughts. I mean, first of all, I think most people in the United States already see through that kind of duopoly that you talked about. Polls have consistently shown for many years, this is not new, that the majority of people in the United States consider themselves independents and that, or, let, 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 let me take that back, not a majority, a plurality. A plurality, the largest group would consider themselves independents. And of course, being an independent in the U.S. couldn't mean anything. It couldn't mean, you know, crazy QAnon people to progressives, to people who don't really know what their politics are, but they're skeptical of both parties. And it's all over the place politically, right? But the reality is that I think most people understand that both of the parties are very similar, are very corrupt, that they don't support average working people. They only support large, large corporations who fund both of the parties. And it's many of the same corporations that fund both parties. Right. So I, I think many people see through that. I think the problem is not it's not a problem with the people necessarily. It's a problem with the system. The problem is that this system is not a democratic system. I mean, there's even been reports in mainstream uh, from mainstream scholars in academia, like a Princeton scholar who who scientifically analyzed the effect of public opinion on policy in the U.S. government and found that it has negligible to zero impact on policy. And this Princeton scholar concluded that the U.S., by any objective definition, is not a democracy. It's an oligarchy. And the political system is created to maintain this illusion of this constant battle between Republicans and Democrats and you pick your side and it's like a reality TV show and it's like watching a sports game and, and you, you follow it and, and if you follow all the ins and outs, it can be fun and, and seem like things are happening. But in reality, nothing changes. It's largely a distraction. And the reality is that the US government is run by a bunch of billionaires and corporations and it acts on their interests. And that's why People get poorer and poorer every year. There's more and more homelessness. Healthcare gets more expensive. Education gets more expensive. And I think most people kind of intuitively recognize that. But I think the, the problem is that there is a lot of nihilism. And even though I think many Americans recognize that both parties don't serve their interests, one, there's so much media propaganda convincing them that the other side is such an... A, a uh, terrifying threat that they just have to, you know, plug. The, they have to hold their nose and vote for the other side. Vote, vote for the side that's slightly less worse, because the other side is just, you know, Satan, Satan incarnate, right? And clearly, that's a very effective tactic. But it's also because a lot of people don't believe that there is an alternative, and it's very hard to see within the political system an alternative emerging because the system is so undemocratic, it's created to make it basically impossible for a third party to win freely and fairly. I mean, I have known a lot of people who have done third party campaigns, who have tried to get third party candidates on on ballots and things like that. It is an extreme uphill battle. And we know that, for instance, the presidential debates are controlled by the DNC and the RNC, which are private institutions. And then they're also controlled by The corporate media networks that broadcast them and they prevent third party candidates from participating in the debates. So at every single level, from the fundraising level all all the way down, every institution is created to maintain this duopoly's chokehold on the political system. And of course, all the large corporations fund them. It does. I understand why people feel very powerless and nihilistic and they don't think the system can change. But what I often say is, look, as difficult and as hard as uh, undemocratic and authoritarian the system is, there have also been much more brutally violent undemocratic systems like slavery. And I think, you know, a lot of people who were enslaved for hundreds of years, they and their family members and, and generations following them thought it would be an extremely grueling, difficult task to overthrow the slave system and of course it took a long period of struggle but they eventually succeeded in doing so and of course they replaced it with another kind of slavery instead of chattel slavery wage slavery which you know is capitalism but I I think you know we have to think of things in that historical context and not allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by how difficult the struggle is today because the reality is that throughout history people have overcome more difficult circumstances than we are in right now and as bad as it is it has been worse and if people in worse circumstances have been able to you know have revolutions and overthrow unjust systems i think we certainly can too so you know that's the revolutionary optimism if you will right pessimism of the intellect uh, optimism of the will i i truly do think that it's an historical inevitability that these undemocratic systems are ine- inevitably going to collapse, largely because of their own internal contradictions. But of course, that doesn't mean that we just sit idly by and don't do anything. We we need to get involved in ways that we can. In involved, you know, I'm a journalist, so that's that's the way I am part of this struggle. And anyone else who wants to get involved in independent journalism, I encourage it. We need more voices; it's important. But also, equally more important, if not, I think probably more important are people who want to get involved in community organizing. And we've seen more and more unions, which is great to see. I mean, more and more unions, including at Amazon now. So there are breakthroughs, you know, people should get involved in protests, movements and community organizations and uh, political third parties and, and other groups like, you know, get involved with socialist third parties and organizations like, and, and other, you know, if you're not a socialist, get involved in anti-war groups. Like, I mean, you, you can't paralyze yourself by thinking of how difficult it, it would be to overthrow the system in the long term. You have to think about what you can do now and work toward that struggle in the long term. And, you know, do what you can and don't burn out because I, I know a lot of people who have burnt out and that doesn't help anyone. So just keep that perspective. That's what I always try to do. And I want to thank everyone who joined in this. Um, I'm going to, I think I'm going to do another one of these tomorrow. And, uh, do one and just have a call. I'm going to post on Twitter and say, anyone who wants to ask questions, I'm just going to open it for calls because I did that last week and I got a really good response and it's cool. I like this app because I can just, you know, chat with people and and see what they're thinking. So I will, uh, I'll see you all next time. I, I, I'm what I decided, I figured out my, my program here at Colin. I'm doing two a week. Although um, I, I can't unfortunately pick a, a consistent time and a consistent day because my schedule varies a lot, but I'm going to do two a week. And what I'll do is one episode like this, where I begin kind of talking about an issue that's in the news. And then I invite questions and then I'm going to do another open Q and a ask me anything. So I'll do that tomorrow and, and that'll be my second this week. So yeah, definitely just m- please make sure you follow me. If you're here in Colin, you can follow the show and follow me. You can follow some friends of mine who have shows. Abby Martin has her show, Dose, which is great. Uh, Katie Halper is on here, Aaron Mate. So there's more and more people on here. I think it's a pretty cool app. And yeah, so I'll see you all, see some of you if you want to join tomorrow. And, and if not, I'll see other people maybe next week or beyond. This was Rules-Based Disorder. Thanks for listening.